3: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one of my friends who is trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You blink, you blink during this move, you might miss the whole shooting match. I'm talking about this rotation into the industrials and the retailers in anticipation of a better employment number tomorrow morning and a possible trade deal with China, perhaps as soon as this weekend. And that's what propelled today's action Dow gaining 167 points, S&P advancing 0.21%, Nasdaq dip 0.05%. They don't have enough China over there. This kind of positivity seems counterintuitive in the face of the conventional wisdom about this market. What do I mean by counterintuitive? Okay, this is fundraiser season where you have to leave work and chat with people and then bid to raise money for all sorts of worthy causes. And I tend to go to a ton of these uh, during the season. So naturally, when I show my face at a social event, everybody wants to ask me about stocks. And I love it. And right now, it's all about Boeing, uh, Boeing, and then more Boeing. This stock tends to be pretty polarizing. Many people believe that those two tragic air accidents are going to wipe out the whole company. Uh, both because of the liabilities and because they'll cause lots of other order cancellations, especially for the 737 MAX, which had been incredibly popular. Yet, how has Boeing stock been performing? It keeps going up and up. Today was another day that should have sent the stock down. We got a report out of Ethiopia that found that there was no pilot error in the Ethiopian Airlines crash. According to the investigation, the crash was entirely caused by plane malfunction. Well, that should have crushed Boeing stock. But nope, the darn thing was up big again, this time up 11 bucks on heavy volume. It's now rallied 34 points from its low in wake of the second crash. Now, that would be an amazing move, even if nothing had happened to the 737 Max. Considering the reputational damage, I I think it's downright remarkable. Even more incredible, the FAA is trying to get all the international aerospace regulators to help decide whether the inevitable fix from Boeing, no date yet, is good enough. Well, that means there's going to be a real pause, a pause long enough to potentially cause cuts in production. As Phil LeBeau, the dean of the Aerospace Reporter, said to us on Squawk on the street today, the stock of Boeing is determined by production orders. So far, there hasn't been a cutback. How can this stock keep flying? What's driving it? I think it's actually pretty simple. Okay, it's pretty simple. If the Chinese, the Chinese, want to make a show of good faith as part of the trade negotiations, ask yourself, what can they buy? Can they buy liquefied natural gas, like the press seems to think? Well, I don't know. They ought to watch the show. We had Dominion Energy on last night. They're sold out for 20 years. You can't get anything out of Chenier either. They can't buy agricultural products. Because, well, we've had heavy floods in this country. It's not even clear if we could deliver on a huge grain order. Not when you listen to the uh, uh, crop protection story out of uh, Dal DuPont. The most obvious answer, they'd buy Boeing planes. A huge buy. A statement buy. It would be greeted so positively. Oh, my. Which is why I can't blame anyone for wanting to own the stock here, not sell it or short it. Plus, look, we know Boeing's going to fix the problem. This is Boeing, for heaven's sake. These guys are passionate about safety. As tragic as those two crashes were, I bet we already move on and Boeing's business ends up doing fine. How else could the Chinese show good faith? They need earth movers, so this could be a great time for the Chinese Communist Party to direct their state-owned enterprises to buy earth movers from Caterpillar instead of say komatsu. Such an easy call, right? That's why I was shocked yesterday when someone downgraded CAT ahead of this possibility. I think that could turn out to be a very ill-advised downgrade. Of course, it's not just the industrials, the retailers were rallying like crazy today. What's driving them? Oh, I can think of a couple of reasons. First, as Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, said in an interview with our own Courtney Reagan, the consumer is in very good shape. Courtney also interviewed Terry Lundgren. He's the former chairman and CEO of Macy's. He was even more positive, saying that the consumer's in really in excellent shape and employment is very strong. He practically laughed at how cheap the stock of Macy's has gotten. Uh, it's selling at what he said was five times or It's actually about eight times. But that is ridiculously cheap. I mean, Jeff Gannett is not that bad, people. He's the CEO. This might be one reason why the stock caught fire today. It was up 5.6%. Basically, it's a bargain with a bountiful and safe 6.1% dividend yield. Okay, now, as Terry said, look, it didn't make the estimates. At least they're important, so it's got to be the penalty box. Uh, But Longman's comments clearly made people feel more emboldened about the group. The second reason retail went on fire. Hey, listen, there's a belief that if the tariffs go away, the retailers will be the biggest winners. So many of them had to eat the cost of the president's 10% tariffs on Chinese imports. They couldn't raise price to you. They just had to just get, well, it hurt their margins. If we get a trade deal and those duties are withdrawn, you could raise numbers for most of the retailers immediately. You can just come in every single day. Raising numbers, Macy's, raising number, maybe even JCPenney. Nah, I can't go that far. On top of that, I think today's buyers were anticipating a strong employment number tomorrow. As we just got an amazing jobless claims figure This, this morning, best in 69. Now, we know many of these retail and apparel companies are doing well. Even as their stocks have been hated. Capri Holdings, the artist formerly known as Michael Kors, which now owns Versace and Jimmy Choo, is doing very well for itself. Same goes for PBAs, parent of uh, Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. They should put a spectacular quarter we heard about it on the show. Lululemon, man, it was a magnificent number. Yes, athleisure. VF Corp, smoking hot. And Nike's coming right back, as I told you it would. It had an awesome quarter, especially in China. Final driver here, let's talk conferences. Here's a little game the retail, the uh, hedge funds play. You ready? Next week we have the biggest confab of the year for this industry. It's the JP Morgan Retail Conference. It's run by the great and powerful Matthew Boss. I think a lot of the big-time portfolio managers are sizing up retailers ahead of this conference. And betting those conferences will tell good companies will tell good stories at the conference and their stocks will shoot up. Some of them have very hefty dividends, including the ones with the biggest gains today. This is the kind of trade that I used to do nine days I at mean, nine ways to Sunday. I mean, I just did this kind of trade pop, pop just constantly at my old hedge fund. I can't trade now, but I did it. It happened today. I saw the buying. and I predict it'll keep buoying the retail stocks tomorrow. They're getting ahead of the conference. So, how powerful was this move? Well, give it some context here. Even lowly dog CVS rallied today. Consumer Value Stores. Remember that? Maybe, maybe they should go back to that old name. CVS rallied. I mean, how how impossible is this? And it did it, despite being painted yesterday with the same poisonous brush as Walgreens. I think that's unfair to them, given that they bought it and diversified away from the drugstore business. Still, CVS announced a, a same-day delivery service, $7.99. I suspect this could be gigantic for people who just want their medicines without needing to go to the pharmacy. It's better than Amazon. To me, this is a sign that the company actually has a pulse. But what really matters is that Wall Street finally gave CVS the benefit of the doubt. And the company that, uh, by the way, that was trying to put Theranos in uh, 8,000 store, eight, 8, stores is still not holding up there. All right. One last thought about the consumer. This morning, Constellation Brands, the owner of Modelo and Corona, reported a fabulous quarter. These numbers were stellar, which is a major departure from the other brewers. Why does that matter? Because it's hard for me to imagine people aren't going out. Yeah, they're not going to, if Constellation selling this much beer, yeah, it was that quarter. The strength here took many investors by surprise because we've been told endlessly that the consumer's staying home, watching Game of Thrones and ordering in. But it seems like that's not the whole story. Although we'll hear more about delivery when we speak to the CEO of Grubhub later in the show. The bottom line, the consumer's alive and well. The economy's alive and well, too. And it'll do even better if we get some kind of thaw with the Chinese. A lot of money managers are betting we'll get a trade deal in the not-too-distant future, which is why Boeing and Caterpillar roared higher today. And while I'm very skeptical about these negotiations with China, because I know that we want to keep the tariffs on no matter what, the stock market is saying, hey, a deal's a deal. Ken in Florida, Ken!
2: Hey, Jim, a huge fan here. Oh, thank you, Thanks Ken. Thanks for picking up. I wanted to talk to you about a stock called Afria, and apparently uh, their new CEO, Erwin Simon from Hain Celestial, seems to be doing a good job by creating their own brand called Can Relief. What I really like about them is their instant CBD quick strip, sort of like a Listerine strip for a quick, discreet. TBD hit.
3: Yes, yes. What do you
2: think about that? What do you I think hear nothing
3: but stock? good things about Ir- what Irwin's doing there. Remember Irwin Simon was uh, used to be wow, he was at Haines Celestial. Um, but I have to tell you that the cannabis stock that I'm recommending is Constellation and Secondary Cronus. But if Irwin comes home, we'll certainly listen to this story. Hey, you know what? Stick with Florida. Let's go to Bill in Florida. Hey, Jim. make Florida giving you a call in Augustine. Recently, uh, Comscope holding completed an acquisition of Aris and with the pending 5G growth the, the analysts are projecting an EPS of 237 share do you agree with that I mean I looked it over because the Aris deal did close exactly today. I was seeing if they could raise numbers and uh, Comscope is just a giant 5G play. And, a, and frankly, a pretty good 5G play. And I know that the earnings have been inconsistent, but I actually like the stock and was going to candidly recommend it this morning. But I didn't get time because I spent too much time uh, up at Grubhub. My bad. All right. The consumer's alive and well, and the economy is alive and well. And it could do even better if we get a deal with China, something the president says we're very close. But remember, very close could be no cigar until over the weekend. Now, we shall see. On made Money tonight, nearly 17.7 million diners uh, powered orders on Grubhub in 2018. Will the stay-at-home economy continue to deliver huge returns for this stock? I'm talking with the CEO as he celebrates five years as a public company, even as its stock has been, I'd say, brittle of late. Then, should you trust your intuition when it comes to investment in it? I'm eyeing the company's potential under new leadership. And time to toast Constellation Brands after today's earnings announcement. I've got the exclusive. Hey, maybe I'll hit Borsi McGill. Stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something?
0: Visibility at indeed.com/slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
3: There's nothing businesses hate more than competition, except maybe communism? When an industry gets too crowded with competition, it becomes a lot harder for existing players to make money. Take the online food delivery space. Not long ago, Grubhub was the undisputed delivery kingpin, with very few rivals that were large enough to make a difference. Now they're up against a wave of intense competition, like Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, and Square's delivery service, caviar, and it's really crimping their margins. That's why I told you to sell the stock six weeks ago. Since then, it's down 15%. So what do you do with it now, though? Earlier today, we had a chance to sit down with Matt Maloney, the founder and CEO of Grubhub, who was celebrating the five-year anniversary of his company's IPO. I think a lot of these good things to say, so take a look. Okay, well, you probably have, I think, one of the greatest secular tailwinds in history. Tell us about what goes right for multiple years with Grubhub.
2: It's incredible because, uh, like you said, it's a, just a secular tailwind. And the, the market now—I mean, this is our, our fifth anniversary of our IPO. The market now is ten times what I thought it was five years ago, and it's because the American public has just adopted digital ordering as their preferred way to engage with their local the restaurants.
3: Mar- not just millennials, is what you're saying.
2: It's everyone. It's across the board. Yeah. No, we are not just marketing to millennials. We are marketing on national television, across all channels, all time zones. It's hitting all segments. And we just see people realize that digitally ordering on their app or on their desktop is just easier. Do people want it all? (laughs) Just like like (laughs) the ad, absolutely. I call that
3: heavy rotation ad. We all know it. What's the return on investment so far? Because some people say you spend too much. But it's in our heads, the ad.
2: So is it working? Of course it's working. I wouldn't have it on TV if it wasn't working. All I right. know well,
3: cuz a lot of people feel you spend too much money, the return on investment's not right.
2: If Tell you, us otherwise. So you think about it this way, you know your LTV, your lifetime value of your customer. Yes. Once they start ordering, we know that they they're lifers. They're on forever. So we, we, can, we can make that, that, uh, that revenue model, and then we know how much it costs to put the ad on there. So, yes, over time, as people see it more and more, it becomes less and less effective, but we're nowhere near our LTV. Okay, well, that's
3: important, and I want people to know, I didn't mean to get right into the weeds fine. yet.
2: We can go back out, but a
3: lot of people feel that your cost of acquisition, and your adjusted EBITDA, which did go down last quarter, are not good tells of the future because you're buying a customer whose lifetime, and you have to amortize that money
2: no I'd say the exact opposite okay tell me so I have always been willing to be extremely aggressive investing in the future okay and historically I was bound by the amount of money I could invest All right. because the uh, reception of these communications just weren't hitting the public and they weren't working as well then around the third quarter of last year we saw that we could spend way more than we had historically and I'm just talking about effectiveness not not like I mean spending it effectively. And so we came to the street on our third quarter earnings call and said, we see opportunity. We are going long in the fourth quarter. But,
3: you know, when you say investment, Wall Street doesn't like it. You have a vision, and I respect your vision being in the restaurant business. But what I tell myself is that Wall Street's way too short-sighted. They're not going to buy Matt's long-term view. It's a cost. You agree? It's a
2: cost of being public. Okay. I mean, people are going to say, you know, where's the beef? The old Wendy's commercial, right? right? They're like, show me the money right now. You guys don't have Wendy's. Be careful. Uh, That's okay. We can. uh, Everyone talks to everyone in this this industry. I think over time, by the way, exclusivity is just not. Well, you have Yum. Tell us what that means for you. Absolutely, Yum is is the biggest restaurateur in the world. Like Yum Yum is an incredible brand. Tell us which ones. people
3: know because people don't know. It might be Taco Bell.
2: Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza Hut. Uh, very forward-thinking, they invest in technology a lot, and they wanted to make a fundamental partnership. And we wanted to understand what the brands needed from a partner.
3: Does it help to have grub in each? In each? Absolutely.
2: Register? Absolutely. Yeah. They made a two hundred million dollar investment because they believe in our story. And how's that help your balance sheet? Well, we didn't need the investment. We have a very healthy balance sheet. Right. But what it did, it was really bringing the support of the Yum brand and the franchisees into Grub, and as a as a tight partnership, we're able to execute on technology and growth for them in a way that nobody else in the industry. Some is people feel right you're not now.
3: making any money on that contract.
2: I totally disagree. Okay, I absolutely disagree. We look at at our we are a marketplace that sells demand generation. Okay, so whether those. Demand generation. I like that. I'm going to steal that. Absolutely. No, we, we sell growth. Right. That, that's, that's what our primary product is. We're not a logistics company. Okay. We do logistics. Right. Because we know that's an end to get to and growth. And you make money, money off your logistics, And we make right? money off our logistics. And but the gross pre-
3: margins on that are fabulous.
2: Uh, the gross margins on the logistics are not fabulous. The gross margins on the demand generation okay. are right. fabulous. Enough. Which Fair is why enough. I differentiate between a logistics company and a demand gen company. Because if, yeah. if you're selling consumers, you're selling growth... You can charge a lot for that. That's the profitable side. Everyone else in my industry is a logistics company which has razor-thin margins. One of my competitors said they're the next FedEx. You really want to be the next FedEx? No. There's the multiple that we can get as marketplaces, and there's a multiple that a logistics company can get. Okay,
3: so how many marketplaces are you in, and how many do you want to be in? Because your expansion, some people say, is headlong. Uh, You're going to say no. right? Your expansion is on target.
2: I think that everyone in the country... Would prefer to order digitally. How
3: about campus people?
2: Than order on the phone. Absolutely right. So that's that, why that that acquisition. It's a Pingo acquisition. It's an incredible acquisition because it gives us further scale in campuses. And Topingo is a pickup-focused product. So here's what you need to think about. All right. We sell growth. We sell orders. I don't care if that's a pickup order, okay. a delivery order, a self-delivery order, or a catering order. Everyone else in my industry only does delivery facilitated. By that platform. All
3: right, well, we're seeing the, I look the, forward we're, to it. We're seeing people come public. We're hearing about Postmates coming public. We know that Uber, you're up against Uber. Yep. I like to track the little car, tells me where I am. I don't yep. get that necessarily with you guys. I Look at Food Boss. Food Boss doesn't list you as being the cheapest.
2: I don't know. I would disagree with that.
3: Well, no, but I was on it this morning, in Brooklyn Food Boss. I,
2: really? So I, well, I'd yeah, be shocked. It's
3: called homework. I'm like
2: really involved in the I'm, I'm, Im-, I'm impressed that you found the one restaurant that we're not cheapest on. <laughs> had I a lot like of your combative attitude. Is that why you bought a ton of stock? Uh, uh, I have not bought a ton of stock recently. Right. But, yes, I I have in the past. Look, because of our partnership, because we partner with the restaurants, we don't put non-partner on the platform, because the restaurant's subsidizing part of that transaction fee, right. we are always cheaper. And that's what people don't understand. There's a lot of bait-and-switch pricing there's a going lot, on. That's
3: not why I'm here. It's because there's a lot... That people don't understand, and you must have great advice for the companies that are coming public. You've been public for five years, and Absolutely. I think you really get it. Give me some uh, hints to the
2: uh, unicorns. Mm. Wow, this is, this is a good one. I would say you are going to have to make better choices, uh, if I use the, the language I use with my, my young children. Because the problem is, the public markets are not going to accept the, the poor decision-making, the short-term decision-making to show... Growth, short-term growth at all costs. What they're going to look at is are you building a sustainable business for your partners? Are you allowing restaurants to be profitable or are you just thinking about your very next private funding? And and you can find drivers. You've got plenty of guys because the
3: labor market is tight.
2: The labor market is tight, but you know what? I think that gig economy opportunities overall are expanding. We're seeing seeing a lot of people want to be delivery drivers because the flexibility they get from being an independent contractor. The
3: shifts, many shifts. Well, you know what? We're going to stop there because I think that you have made a great case for Grubhub. You know I'll, I have a great <laughs> affinity for what you do being in the restaurant and tavern business. That's Matt Maloney, founder and CEO of Grubhub, symbol G-R-U-B. Thank you so much. Thank Matt. you, Jim.
1: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!
3: Now that tax day, April 15th, is right around the corner, let's talk about how you can make money off it. Now, look, I can't make your tax bill any smaller, and I can't make filling out your tax return less of a hassle, but I can help you try to profit... From the business of tax preparation, every year at about this time, people start thinking about buying these stocks. Whether we're talking about the troubled h and Block or its thriving rival, Intuit, the software company you know as TurboTax, QuickBooks, boy do we ever use that, and Mint, among other brands. Intuit's a longtime Kramer fave. And for years, this stock has racked up tremendous gains. As the world slowly became more tech-savvy, this company was able to Take more and more market share because it was so digitized. Why go to a physical office to get help with your taxes? Well, you can just do it on the web. Via TurboTax. That's the major reason why Intuit's been able to rally from $25 a decade ago to $262 as of today. Even after it got dinged for more than 6 bucks today, it's part of that wide-ranging sell-off in the high-flying software stocks. So, given that monster run, does it make sense to buy Intuit up here? Or has the easy money already been made? Logical question, right? The story's definitely gotten more complicated lately. While the company has a long history of reporting fabulous numbers, some investors did get a little spooked. Last August, when longtime CEO and Kramer fave Brad Smith announced he'd be stepping down at the beginning of this year and transitioning to his new role as executive chairman. Smith wanted to go out on a high note, and that's exactly what he did. Plus, on the same day, we learned that Intuit's chief te- technology officer, Taylor Stansberg, would also be retiring. Oh, they timed these resignations right when the company had just announced a terrific quarter. So the stock didn't get hit, but losing two top executives is a big deal. Especially your CEO. I mean, Brad Smith is a major, no, the major reason why I've been such a huge fan of Intuit stock over the years. I met, him a few, I met him, I don't know, what, a half dozen years ago. And I said, this is a guy, this is a guy who knows his stuff. He came on this show repeatedly and made a great case for this business, but it was a technology case. Under Smith's leadership from 2008 through the end of last year, the company's earnings have more than tripled. And the stock gave you a 600% plus return. Bankable. That's a real loss even if he stay on as chairman. But at least so far, the new CEO, Sassan Gudarzi, whom I invite on the show, seems to be doing a terrific job. Gudarzi previously ran into its rapidly growing small business and self-employed group, which is pretty self-explanatory. They sell accounting and tax preparation software to small businesses, including uh, the businesses I own and independent contractors. Meanwhile, Mariana Tessel, the chief product development officer in that same division, took over as into its CTO. Now, not long after these announcements, the whole stock market went into a tailspin in that fourth quarter in the pal bear market, especially the high-flying software stocks like this one. And that eventually dragged down even Intuit, despite the fact that the company reported a phenomenal quarter in November. Remember, this is a tax preparation company. I mean, you'd think that they would have a one in November. Uh-uh. These guys are all year-round. The stock plunged from 231 at the beginning of October down to 182. It slows. Uh, Christmas Eve, that's a 21% decline. Shocking. Now, I think it would have held up better, of course, if it weren't for the announcement of Brown Smith's retirement. Still, like so many other stocks that got slammed during the fourth quarter bear market, Intuit has caught fire in 2019. It is up 33% year-to-date. That's pretty darn good, isn't it? Obviously, it never should have pulled back that much in the first place, but you know, the pal Bear market took down a lot of stocks. Plus, well, after the past few months, the stock picked up more and more institutional sponsorship from the Wall Street Fashion Show. Even Keith Weiss over at Morgan Stanley, who'd been a perma-bear... <laughs> On Intuit since September of 2016, a long time to be wrong, wouldn't you say? Finally upgraded the stock to neutral in early February. Neutral. Probably used its decline here, upgraded. What do you think? And uh, those bulls definitely knew what they were doing, because when Intuit reported on February 22nd, the new management team, it just knocked it out of the park. Company earned $1 per share, when the analysts only looking for $0.86. Cents. Higher than expected sales. Love that. Solid guidance for the next quarter to boot. In response, the stock rallied nearly 7% in a single day. And since then, Intuit just kept climbing. That is until this week. I started pulling back a wee- uh, bit. Ooh, I like that. Now, alongside these results, Intuit also released their TurboTax unit volumes for early tax season. And while the numbers were basically flat, flat was darn good under the circumstances. Remember, had, the government shut down, right? Tax season got off to a late start, but those customers weren't lost. They were only postponed customers. Best of all, Sasan Ghadarzi, that new CEO I told you about, he told a very compelling story on the conference call. He explained that Intuit's on track to hit its full-year targets thanks to strong growth in their small business and self-employed division, which represents about half the company. That segment grew at a 17% clip last quarter. It's become a major driver here. Really, this business is the linchpin of Intuit's whole growth strategy. Why? Intuit already dominates the consumer tax prep space, but TurboTax is a mature product. With slowing growth, TurboTax has been taking market share for years. And after the big boost last year from TurboTax Live, their service where you can use their software to ask a real human being for help over the web, there's only so much share left to take. For Intuit to keep growing, the company needed to expand into new areas. Hence, the new focus on helping the self-employed, as well as people caught up in the gig economy. And we're talking about Lyft and Uber drivers. The thing about the gig economy is that it's a real pain in the neck when it comes to taxes. If you drive for Uber, they don't withhold a penny for the IRS. You need to calculate and pay those taxes yourself every quarter. In short, as more people get pulled into the gig economy, and you know that this is a continual theme on the show, that that is a great secular bull case. And two, it gets a whole new base of customers who need help with their finances and their tax returns. By the way, I'm still surprised that small businesses have been doing better. We know that from Marty Musi. I think that's yet to come. Now, I think that, this, that Intuit's plan and the new management team, I think they're executing incredibly well. But and this is a big but. The stock has already run up dramatically here and prices do matter. At these levels, Intuit sells for roughly 35 times next year's earnings estimates, which is a lot, even for a company with a 15% long-term growth rate. Remember, you don't want to pay twice that. That's usually the upper limit. Even the most aggressive growth-oriented money managers will blanch at that kind of valuation. What if we look on the out years? Uh, Based on Wall Street's estimates for Intuit fiscal 2021, stock still sells for 31 times earnings. So it is difficult for me to come out here tonight and recommend putting new money to work at these levels. You have to believe in Godarzi and his team can deliver some real upside surprise which will make the stock seem cheaper in retrospect. Otherwise, I don't know. As much as I like it, it seems expensive. The bottom line here, the story is all about conviction. If you believe in its strategy, if you think they'll be able to blow away the numbers, then the stock's worth buying even up here. But if you don't have that kind of conviction in an unproven management team, at least yet, I can't blame you for taking a pass on this one, at least until it gets, let's say, to some lower levels. Let's take calls. Let's go to John in Washington. John! Thank you, Jim, for taking my call. I'm watching your show. I love it. Oh, thank and I you. I enjoy your unique style. It um, is unique. My question is, like, yeah, my question is about Nutanix. Yes. T N X. Given the negative news about the class action lawsuits, is this a company that is good to add to my position right now? Okay. Well, I'll tell it's- you um, that Nutanix. I don't want you to worry for a second. Oh, Nutanix sent me an email while we're doing this. You know, they send out all those emails if you, if you subscribe to their newsletters. Um, Nutanix, basically, is not—the class action suit is not something to worry about. What you do have to worry about is the competition, which is VMware. And VMware is very good. Nutanix, right now, it's tough. It's tough for them. All right, when it comes to Intuit, the name of the game is Conviction. Okay, it's a new management team, so I don't blame you. If you do want to take a pass for lower levels— What can I say? I like the company, but the stock's expensive. Much more mad money yet. Feel like you're seeing stars after Constellation Brand's latest earnings? Oh, you're not alone. Grab a cold one. Hey, make my Modelo and make yourself comfortable. I'm speaking with the CEO of the company behind some of the country's most popular beers, wines, and spirits. That... I'll give you a hint, prisoner. Then after a terrible day for the cloud stocks, I'm checking the forecast and telling you if the stormy weather in the group could pass. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. As Constellation Brands finally got its mojo back, regular viewers know that I'm a big believer in in Constellation. That's the alcohol company best known for selling Corona, Modelo, and Pacifico here in the United States, along with some fancy wines and liquors. But lately, the stock has been a tough one to own, as investors worry about a slowdown in the broader beer industry. There's one reason, I would say that's probably the main reason, Constellation shelled out about $4 billion for a 38% stake in canopy growth. The best of the Canadian cannabis place, if you ask me, in large part, because it the biggest war chest because Constellation gave it to him. I think that investment has a ton of potential as the marijuana business expands, but people are still worried about the court beer business. That's why the stock exploded higher today. Voting nearly 12 bucks, you know, it was down early because of the stupid algo guys, were 6.5% in the wake of a terrific quarter. Yep, Constellation reported 12 cent earnings beat off $1.72 basis, better than expected. Revenue up two year, uh, 2% year over year, strong vibe. Now, at first glance, the guidance seems soft, but once management clarified that those numbers don't include any earnings from Canopy Growth or from the $1.7 billion in low-end wine brands the company's selling, the stock was off to the races. Can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Bill Newlands. He's the brand-new CEO of Constellation Brands. Learn more about the quarter and his company, where it's headed. Hey, Mr. Newlands, welcome back to Mad Money.
5: Hey, Jim. Good to be here.
3: Absolutely. Hey, Bill, uh, this number showed, uh, without a doubt, especially because even yet had bad weather, it didn't even matter, that not only is beer back, but your beers are taking up the whole growth in the total beverage environment.
5: It is. Uh, the high end continues to be strong, and we are the leader in the high end. And you're right. The end of February wasn't great weather-wise. But our year overcame the whole thing. We were almost 9% growth in, in depletions in our beer business. It's just a juggernaut, and we're thrilled with it.
3: Now, I want to ask you something. A lot of people felt that they were worried about all the debt you took down for uh, Canopy. I was shocked, one, at first, that you got $1.7 billion for brands that really, you guys have been saying, aren't really generating creating the return. But second, your cash flow was incredible. You can pay down this four point seven in in three years, the way I look at it.
5: Well, as you know, we've said we plan to return $4.5 billion to investors over the next three years. And you're right, this is a cash generating business. And now that we've excised a piece of our wine business, we think we're going to have great potential in that piece of our business as well. So we're excited about the future.
3: I know you spoke at the Beverage Association. I've got my spies there the other day. And it looked like that what you're saying is what really matters is the high end is great, hence why you would keep a prisoner, why you bought High West, why you're up uh, premiumizing the the, uh, premiumization of, of tequila. These all have come into play. They're working, aren't they?
5: They are. They're all powerhouse brands. They're consumer interesting. They're high margin businesses. And we think this is where the growth in the future is gonna come from. So this is where we wanted to be in the future. And this deal today puts us in place to do just that.
3: You have a close relationship with Mexico. It's been a fabulous one. Were you worried today when the president's talking about shutting down Mexican trade if things don't go right?
5: Well, I gotta tell you, I'm happy to hear that he's backing off that whole argument because obviously we make all of our beer in Mexico. But, you know, there's lots of things that we could do to mitigate that issue, but we'd prefer not to deal with it at all, to be honest with you.
3: Yeah, I remember when some people were saying you could, you could make, what do they want you to do, make Mexican beer in Michigan? But that's never going to
5: happen, is it? Yeah, that's, no, that, that's not going to work.
3: All right. Now I want to talk to you about Canopy. Uh, there are some expectations built in here that uh, that I thought were pretty aggressive. Um, Bill Coy says here he says, Bill called out the Canopy business will be generating over one billion dollars in run rate net sales at the end of the upcoming fiscal year. Can it really
5: do that kind of revenue? I certainly think it can, Jim. I, if you look at Canada alone, Canada is on a run rate of five to six billion dollars in sales. And Canopy is the leading player in that market. So if you just think about uh, Canada alone, you're going to have a great opportunity. Then you add in new form factors later this year and things like beverage and other edibles. Um, We think we think the sky's the limit. This is going to be a big business and Canopy is going to be the leader.
3: But Bill, I'm worried. How are you going to manage your time? When you got CBD, you got to get the THC, you got to get the beverage done, you got to do the high end spirits, and you also got to do beer. Isn't this too much for one guy?
5: Well, obviously, I don't do it all by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, you know, we're very focused. Canopy's focused on what they're going to do to build the right form factors and the right markets. Uh, to win across the globe as necessary and as it becomes legal. We've got a very strong team in beer and we've got a very strong team in wine. We think we're in a pretty good position to win on all three of those fronts.
3: Now, do you think that one of the reasons why low-end wine isn't doing as well as, or, or people fear it won't do as well is because Canopy comes in, let's say, with a very good-tasting drink, which has no calories. They're dominant because they've got the most money. Isn't that an attractive opportunity for people, I'm going to use the term that you and I use off-camera, to get a buzz in a better way?
5: Well, you know, we, that, this is part of the reason why we focused our attention on the trade-up sector in the wine business. That's going to continue to be the growth profile for wine going forward, in our judgment. Same is true in spirits. And whether or not uh, a cannabis piece ends up taking a chunk of some part of the business, we see no evidence of that today, as I've told you before. But, you know, at some point in time, it could very well happen. We believe we're positioned to win on all of those fronts, no matter what the uh, consumer chooses to do.
3: Okay, you know you know, i got Bar San Miguel. Now, of course, that's obviously anecdotal. But the Millennials are in love with, with the Modelo on tap, okay, the Especial, and Big they time. can't get enough Pacifico. Did you guys just pivot right? Is that luck? What happened there? You know that's what the Millennials are drinking. It's those two beers.
5: Well, this past year is the first year we really did national advertising for Pacifico. And we've got double digit growth outside the core home market of California. So Pacifico is an up and coming brand for us. As you know, it's hot and it's hot with a younger consumer. So we're really excited about it. And then you think about the success of Premier that we had this year. It focuses in on that health conscious, low carb, low cal. It did almost twice what we expected it to do. In fiscal 19, and we think it's got a great growth profile coming up in this year, too.
3: Tough to keep in stock. That's what they say. Tough to keep in stock. That is that's Bill Newlands' president That's a nice of, problem. All right, president CEO of Constellation Brands. I like this company. Stick with Kramer. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skiing? daddy time for the lightning round. It's a gym in your York. Gym! Booyah, Jim Kramer. Booyah. First time talking to you, My, uh Calls on VF Corp. I saw a Golden Cross on three twenty seven and a double bottom on three eighty three twenty five. I think fans 25. is doing so well that you are going to do quite ah, well. I am thrilled to get rid of the jeans business. That is too competitive, Steve in New York, Steve. Big long booyah, Jim. I'll take it. First time caller, long time viewer. First time, All long time. Go
2: ahead. Got a got a stock I got into late last year for its dividend. It's since merged with another REIT but it's been going down since the merger. Should I buy,
3: hold, or sell office property income, (OPI)? I got to look into that. That's a stunning decline. I, I, You know, it's gotten a little better this year, but I got to find out exactly what, what they merged with that nobody likes. That's a cheap stock. We're going to come back. Daniel in Pennsylvania. Daniel. Jimmy, it's a Catasauqua Lehigh Valley booyah to you. Love the valley. Yay, lived there for a while. What's going on? Despite the recent increase in crude
2: oil inventory, but with summer driving season and $75 oil on the way, my stock is Anadarko Petroleum Corporation.
3: Well, I have a conference call next Friday from members of the ActionLordsPlus.com club. Last conference call, I beat myself up severely about how Anadarko turned out to have not what I wanted in terms of growth. This quarter, I think it'll be much better at 2.6% yield. Good balance sheet. Ah. I think Anadarko's fine. I think he can make six bucks in it. Let's go to Larry in South Carolina. Larry! Oh, yeah, Jim, from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Beautiful today, area. I would Good like fishing. I'm sorry. Today, I'd like your wisdom on OKTA. Oh, come on. You know I like those guys. That stock at one point was so hammered today, you couldn't look at it. It was like looking at a total eclipse of the sun. Yes, yeah, so I think that the, you know, that's the one that's the identity software. It's a, it's kind of a, a Salesforce spawn. I like it very much. But remember, it's a long-term play. I need to go to Steve Marino in Illinois, Steve. Coach Kramer, booyah, to from oh. Chicago. Shasefsky is what they call me until that brutal Michigan State game. What's going on? Send
4: us a place kicker, please.
5: Um, yep. I've hey, been riding the Fort Tola Pharmaceuticals uh, roller coaster since last fall. Things are looking up now. Uh, launch is going You good. know, it's really interesting it. you say
3: that because I saw that, too. I, you know, I remember someone asked me in Summit, where I live. You know, what is the deal with that one? And I said, I don't know. It goes down every day. Now, I don't know. It goes up every day. I think your five's up 91% this year, though. So don't get cocky. Don't get greedy. Virgil in Virginia. Virgil! Yes, I'm going to get your feel on JD. Thank you, sir. Nah, Virgil Kane's my name, but I'm not a buyer of that stock. I think that JD is... We're only doing Baidu. We're only doing Baidu, okay? And Alibaba. I added Baidu. That's a new one, by the way. Uh, Neo started going up today. See that? How about we go to Robbie in North Carolina? Robbie! Robbie? Yeah. You're up. Okay. Well, that means you go, usually. Oh, okay. Hey, James Rod from Northland. How you doing? You know, this was a great day, frankly. It was a great day. I took a cup of cologne coffee. I always makes me happy. What's going on with you? I was worried about uh, JPM. I know it's got a, PA, a PE ratio of 9.95 and an annual return dividend. Right. You can get this at 3% with that price. And all I hope is that Jamie, President Jamie Dimon, appoints me ambassador of Monaco. And that, Lane Jones, in the conclusion of the lightning round.
4: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: You know, I'm always telling you to wait for a pullback before you buy something red hot. Well, it's because of days like today. Even though you couldn't see it in the averages, because the Dow was up so large, this session was truly terrible for one of my favorite groups, the Cloud stocks. Just look at the Cloud Kings, the ones I anointed, the biggest and best players in the space, which were absolutely hammered! ServiceNow sinking 10 dollars, Salesforce off four bucks, Splunk down nearly three bucks, VMware losing almost five bucks, Workday giving up eight dollars, and Adobe falling more than three dollars. All were much, much lower earlier in the session. By the way, This is why I'm always preaching the virtues of diversification. If you want to diversify portfolio, today was a good day. But if you had too much concentration in the cloud names, well, this was a pretty bad day. (laughs) You have to understand, though, there's nothing wrong with the cloud companies here. No, I checked everywhere. There was no bad news. There was no negative research. In fact, we know the cloud remains on on fire here. Amazon Web Services, which, you know, we had the CEO is the top cloud infrastructure provider, and it's red hot. Microsoft's Azure has spectacular growth. What if we move down uh, the food chain? The semiconductor companies that supply the data centers and host the cloud, Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, all telling great stories. The same things that were true yesterday are still true today, like the fact that digitization is still in its early innings for many companies. And how do we know things like that? Well, How about the fact that Walgreens, a huge outfit, Walgreens, had horrendous earnings, and it's just now beginning to digitize. Something I mentioned over and over on the disastrous conference call that made me feel like, guys, how come you're so late to digitize? Second point, I'm not yet making a clarion call to buy these because sometimes there's a downgrade lurking, some sweeping call that we don't know about yet. It's possible a couple of hedge funds are simply liquidating high multiple stocks that don't have any exposure to China, and then swapping into industrials that do. That's a classic rotation uh, because people uh, say the talks might uh, conclude this weekend in a positive way. But I do smell a downgrade. We have to now wait to see if we get to downgrade. Finally, perhaps my biggest fear is being realized. Growth funds are raising cash to prepare for the deluge of new IPOs. Remember I've been saying that over and over over again, knowing that the next few deals will be done by firms that don't want another lift on their hands, Lift being the new term for botched IPO. It makes sense when you look at the performance of today's big deal, TradeWeb, a financial services slash technology company that jumped gigantically and in an orderly fashion, just what you want if you own it. I think some funds could be selling the cloud stocks so they have capital to participate in these IPOs, especially now that Lyft is actually back to its offering price. At least that happened. I mean, you know, I didn't I, look, I told you, I think that a 39% company, that a company owns 39% of the market, and a company owns 60%, which is Uber, that's a good business. So how about the cloud kings themselves? What, uh, what, what, what do we know about them? All right, let's take them down. First service now. I just talked to this CEO, John Donahue, the other day on Squawk on the Street. He said business is very strong. I have implicit trust in John. So ServiceNow is a go-to name on this decline. Remember, my information is a few days old. Salesforce, a stock we own from my travel trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, big conference call next Friday, just had an extraordinary quarter. And again, I have total confidence in Mark Benioff and Keith Block. Okay, Splunk's a little tougher. It's not clear to me. Uh, I have nothing recent, so I can't tell. But I know it's riding two great secular growth waves, security and data mining. Security remains as hot as ever, maybe hotter. And data mining never been more important. By the way, CyberArk was down big, too. That was wrong. How about VMware? Well, didn't you know? Didn't you know? I mean, we just had COO Sanjay Poonen on. Uh, he just came here. He told us business is fantastic. He couldn't have changed in 10 days. I think you can buy some now, maybe buy some more when the stock gets hit after some analyst inevitably downgrades it uh, simply for the sin of going down. And they are like, don't want to give up the game. Workday had an incredibly strong quarter. You could argue that its stock has run too much from these levels. I mean, at one point this thing, by the way, was down 12 bucks. But I think people are plain scared to buy a stock that's down as much as Workday was midday today. My trading instincts tell me that there will be a second day of losses for this one, uh, for this group. Uh, because that's how rotations usually play out. I would buy some tomorrow after margin calls, which is around 2.30 p.m., and then maybe buy some Monday. Finally, there's Adobe. When these guys reported last month, their stock tanked. A few weeks later, though, it erased those losses and then some. So I say you should get ready to use this swoon in the cloud stocks to do some buying. But in this case, look, why not wait until the coast is clear, meaning that we are sure that there's no meaningful downgrade like tomorrow morning before you pull the trigger. Give the sell-off a little more time just so we can make sure it's a random rotation related to stocks that win if we get a China deal and not something more meaningful. Typically, a decline like this, this has its worst moment on day two tomorrow, not today. So you might want to start picking at these stocks in the late afternoon. Of course, if the group gets hit with some big downgrades, they could go lower. But that's just an opportunity to buy even more at better prices. I like the cloud. Stick with Kramer. Now, I've been thinking about Constellation, and what's good for Constellation really is bad for Bud and for uh, Tap, because I think Coors is doing badly, too. This turns out to be a one-horse industry, and that's all. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow! People
1: today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older